Hey, welcome to the Church Explain podcast, a conversation to grow your leadership and build your church. We want to welcome you today for our brand new season two of the podcast and here in January 2022. Brilliant. Hey, well, I'm Dave. I'm Nathan. And we're the hosts of the Church Explain podcast. And we're excited today because we've got Stephen Webb, uh, who's a church consultant and leadership coach. And has spent 10 years of his life as part of the team of Elevation Church. Uh, having played various roles, his main role has been around sort of campus expansion, um, helping with uh, sort of expand 12 campuses outside the main campus uh, in Charlotte. And uh, you're now focused on leadership, coaching, church consultant, and that uh, you're married with two children, and you now live in Texas. You've just moved, in fact, to Texas, and you're part of the Victory City Church. So, hey, Stephen, welcome to the Church welcome. Explain podcast. Great to have you with us. Thank you so much. I, I'm, I'm very excited about this. I love that you have an accent, but then I have an accent to you. I like that we're all foreigners together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty confusing eh, for people. Eh? It is. It is. It is. Because we've got different accents as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we got a new set. New set. Because yeah. this is uh, season two, I think we're going to yeah. call this. So we're calling it Welcome to the Jungle. Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> Come on. Uh, Can you get us out of here? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> hey, Stephen, uh, you're also known as Sweb. And, uh, and so why don't you just give us a little bit of information, a little bit more about yourself, but also how you got that nickname? Well, um, yeah, so everybody, I say everybody, most people in the last, I say, 11 or so years know me as Sweb. Uh, which is S-W-E-B-B. There's a certain age, and I don't know what that age is, but as you get older, you start to put an H in there like Schweb, and that's not how you say it. But ultimately, when I was at, uh, when I first got to Elevation, as a matter of fact, I had my email address, because my name is Stephen Webb. My email address was sweb at elevationchurch.org. And uh, so the very first day, our executive pastor said, Sweb, I bet you get that all the time. And I was like, I've never heard that, but somehow it's stuck. Now, the funny side of that story, of course, uh, and it, it makes more sense definitely back then and on the staff at Elevation, but there were five Stevens on staff, and I was technically the other Pastor Steven, but you can imagine it's underwhelming if somebody introduces me as Pastor Steven and they're expecting, you know, Stephen Furtick to show up, so they just gave me a separate name, and it's stuck stuck ever since, man, so. <laughs> I, I got I to imagine that when it comes to the preaching somewhere, do you know what I mean? Pastor Steven's coming from Elevation. Yep. <laughs> you can just say, yeah, listen. Just say yes. Just plan. Just send your fear ahead of time. We'll be all right. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned you were on uh, staff at uh, Elevation Church, and um, obviously you were uh, across many different things. But I wondered if you could share maybe some of the we've termed it here non-sexy or those things that people don't see uh, that helped Elevation Church grow that people probably don't ask about. Yeah. Now, that's a great question. Let me give you a little bit of my context, too, so maybe makes uh, some sense. But uh, church was started in 2000. Uh, what is it? Five. Uh, I showed up in 2000, um, 2010, uh, just before about four and a half years into the church, I believe. Um, and so uh, I came in. There are still thousands of people. I think we had three locations at the time. Uh, so I saw, you know, the church was big and kind of doing its thing. And then I got there and then I got to see kind of this 
I don't know, next next level uh, jump. Uh, so some of that, obviously, in the first four years would be stories to me. They wouldn't be things that I lived. But beyond that, going from, a, you know, a few thousand to, I guess, 30,000 or from three campuses to 20, um, that's what I got to kind of be a part of and see. So that's some of my context. So um, um, yeah, I, I love it when people ask the question of what's the secret sauce and that kind of thing. My answer is always the stuff that doesn't make a conference, you know, it doesn't make a podcast. So I appreciate you asking that. So um, man, there's probably a few things, but the one that sticks out to me most that I appreciate most and have taken from that time at Elevation into, you know, other endeavors, I, 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 I try to build my kids the same way is I just think ultimately, and this is a bold statement, I just think we worked harder than most people. <laughs> I really think that's it. And uh, there's some other nuance to it, uh, but you know, we, we worked really hard. Uh, one of the key elements that we didn't talk about a lot then, and I don't really say now, either, is this idea of balance, this work-life balance. Uh, and you hear that in, in, time, in, in many industries and other conversations, of course, but, um, but if you think about balance, in order to keep two things balanced, you've got to keep them further apart. And once you put the metaphor in that term, in that context, that doesn't seem really healthy. I don't want my family over here, my church ministry over here. I, I want them integrated. And some of our senior leaders even came up with the, the language of integration instead of balance, uh, which means if you're not balancing, then you can't really say, hey, we're going to we're going to kind of rest. You know, I mean, there are seasons of rest. I get that. But it wasn't the idea of this balance thing. So we just worked hard. There were seasons we just knew we were going to we were going to hustle and work hard. And there wasn't a 40 hour work week. Uh, and then there were other times where maybe maybe there was a lull like June, for example, in the United States is where no one goes to church, apparently. <laughs> so we just all mail it in on some level. Um, so but we know that we pick right back up in July. July is a growth season for us, you know, January, February, obviously things like that. And so I, at the end of the day, I just I talk to a lot of people now that talk about being tired or they just feel like, man, they're really running, running dry. And I think those are all related to leadership issues, maybe perspective. Um, but I just don't find the balanced theology in the Bible. I don't find the whole like, you know, like even the weekend is kind of a modern invention. Uh, again, I get soul health and, and rest and Sabbath. And I agree with all those things. But, uh, but I just sometimes think our mental model, our metaphors are just a little bit off. And sometimes it's put your head down, grind, hustle, call people back um you know show up to meetings be on time be early those kind of things that i mean some people just think it's hard i, I want to give you this one kind of example you, you hear about this phrase burnout right we've all heard that in some way i think uh, on some level i think christians invented that phrase <laughs> but um but i think uh, i think burnout is is fine to talk about but i think before we do that we need to get the metaphor right a candle does not burn out because the flame is too hot it burns out because it ran out of fuel right but we think it's the opposite when we take that and put it into a leadership context. We uh, we like to say that, wow, I mean, it's just really getting hard. So I'm just really getting burned out. No, you just lack fuel, which could be vision. Uh, it could be your own internal purpose and, and, and why for being there. It could be your physical health. You know, a lot of pastors are just frankly unhealthy from the way they eat and drink or don't eat and drink or sleep. Um, you see what I'm saying? So I think uh, that's kind of just a, I don't know, maybe a, a picture of the type of belief I have about just working hard and at, at elevation. We just kind of we just kind of ran pretty hard and, uh, and then we rested good too, but we, we ran pretty hard. Yeah, no, that's right. a, that's a great sort of, uh, illustration there of what burnout looks like. Yeah. And this is interesting actually, as we think not only of burnout, there was an article written a few years ago of, of what was called bore out. In other words, people are too much time in their hands and they're bored. So they have the same experience yeah. in life as well. So uh, yeah, I get that idea. You got to work hard. You were saying there, you've got to have, you know, good sleep, good, uh, life ethics as well to, to look after yourself. So that's all great mm -hmm. stuff to have in there, isn't it really? 
definitely. When it comes to leadership. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we've been thinking through a little bit of this idea of, um, you know, expansion. Obviously, you were involved in a lot of the expansion, as you say, involved in 12 campuses. It, it would be great just to maybe just talk into that a little bit, if you could, Swab. Just, you know, wh- how, how did you do that? How, if you were going to start a campus, how did you do it? And how did you scale a campus uh, when you got that moving? Yeah, great question. So, again, context for me is um, I got hired basically to take elevation beyond the city of Charlotte, uh, east coast of the United States. Uh, when I say campuses, by the way, we mean physical campuses. Uh, our context of a campus, too, meant it was going to resemble the main campus. We don't use the word main because that implies everything else is not main and you never want to create that division. Um, But that's the idea, right? We have kind of that broadcast location where the main stuff comes out of, uh, but everybody else exhibits something similar. But we don't call a campus a group of 50 people with hopes. Uh, Campus would be like you walk in and you get the same, you know, show, so to speak, the same production, the same culture, all that uh, across the board. So um, that's just good context because a lot of people would say they have a main campus of a couple thousand and then the multi-site campus of 50 and that 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 breaks down in my mind. So there's some context for it. Uh, and so my job was to, when I got hired was to build, take it beyond that. Our first one, we jumped from Charlotte all the way to Toronto, Canada, which doesn't make a lot of logical sense. And there's a lot of stories in there that I can tell you how and why it worked, but uh, we'll save that for another day. But, um, and then we just started to kind of go up and down. So that's actually how I ended up in Florida where I was for the last few years. Um, but with that being said, that context, uh, to, to do that expansion, what I think to be correctly is you got to kind of answer some simple questions like, what are you trying to expand? Like, what are you trying to take with you? Or what are you trying to replicate? Uh, it's not just the name. A lot of people just take the name or the logo and then mail it to another city and say, oh, we, we have a church over here. And they'll hire a campus pastor maybe off the street who lives in that town because we like to think that, hey, they need to speak that language. You know, they need to know what it's like to be in Florida. And on some level, that's kind of true. But that's not any better if they don't know how to speak your internal language, though, either. And so um, so it's answering the questions, what are we trying to replicate? What are we trying to multiply? And where the difficult thing is, in my opinion, is uh, saying no to a lot. Um, so, you know, you have to come up with a list of what's negotiable and non-negotiable. So I've seen this before. You've done this. Some, some of you have done this just intuitively. But I think some intentionality is required here. So like, for example, when you have a church and it's grown to a few thousand people, you may have a, a robust youth ministry, let's say, you know, and you may have a robust even groups ministry. You got small groups, let's say a couple hundred small groups. Um, in our case, in our case at Elevation, it's not universal, but in our case at Elevation at the time, those, for example, were not, not non-negotiables. Those were negotiables. You can start a church without a youth ministry. It's possible. Elevation, for all practical purposes, didn't really have one for the first 10-ish years of the church even. Um, so let that sink in, but, but I know you'll see conferences and books that say, if you don't have youth ministry, you can't grow a church. I'm like, well, I guess we broke that system. (laughs) So, so it comes down to what's negotiable, non-negotiable for you. I'm not, again, it's not universal, but, um, but that would be a hard thing to do. Cause some people be like, Hey, we need a youth ministry. And we're like, no, we've got to build this, whatever this is, we got to build that first. So out of that, we can grow a youth ministry out of that. We can grow a small groups ministry or out of that. We can do certain outreach or missions endeavors in that particular city. And the hard work of saying no uh, was probably some of that like secret sauce ingredient as well to the expansion side of things. Um, not just from finances, some of that's obvious, <laughs> you know, some things just cost more. I get that, but we want to make sure we go into something and scale it. But what are you scaling is a question. I just don't think enough people ask. And so my job was just to take what I thought were the non-negotiables. Uh, and admittedly, we learned some stuff in the process. We didn't take a formula. We kind of invented it. Uh, from the beginning. 
Uh, so we weren't borrowing from something for somebody else. For There's only one other church that we know about doing campus expansion at that scale in the same style we were doing it. Uh, but they hadn't done it quite as fast as we had. So we're like, we're trying to just figure stuff out in the process. Um, and that, so some of the non-negotiable negotiable conversation came out of uh, necessity. You're like, oh man, we can only take, you know, this much with us. You better figure out what's, a, what, what's required and what's not. And, uh, but I do think it's just a good exercise. Now, when I coach leaders in churches on multi-site, that is literally the first thing we do is tell me what is the hill you want to die on? What is the thing you've got to take at all costs? And then I help them define what they think is neat, what they think is cool, what they think is fun, but also help them see that's not necessarily non-negotiable. And so from then, uh, I mean, I'm jumping ahead here, but at that point, it snowballs pretty good. All the rest of the stuff is, <laughs> is easy, very much in quotes, but it's very easy once you get that foundation of the non-negotiables up front. Yeah. yeah. I think that, that's, um, it's, a great, it's a great answer and probably one that we don't think about too much. Um, just to pry a little bit, what were some of the non-negotiables or what was a big non-negotiable uh, as you were taking elevation? Yeah. So, and again, it's custom to the church and the mission. So for example, our non-negotiable, uh, or excuse me, one of our big non-negotiables, I'll give you a few, uh, would be the obvious one is preaching is going to come central. Now, uh, you know, we just believed we had, you know, Pastor Stephen Furtick, one of the top preachers in the world. I still think he is to this day. Um, well, let's not put another guy up there and just for, just for fairness, you know, like that, I don't know that fairness is the right value in this case. So, but sometimes it's like, Hey, we're going to start a church and campus pastors are going to preach 30 times a year. That's fine. But in our case, that was a non-negotiable. So whatever sermon was on the, the broadcast stage, that's what everybody else played, which allow, allowed the campus pastor to do more traditional pastoring of the people there locally rather than preparing a sermon for 20 or 30 hours a week, a few times a year or whatever. So that's an example. Uh, same thing with worship. Now, worship's a good example too. We would program everything centrally and then do an expansion version, if you will. So maybe there's an element that didn't work over there at that location, but we'd still make something custom fit for that location, but that resembles the main programming. Um, but here's a unique one. That started as a non-negotiable because elevation worship is a very known thing. Um, and so we, again, didn't want to just give a guy with a guitar 500 miles away and be like, yeah, man, just do your thing, bro. <laughs> that, that would water down the brand. And, you know, people there are like, wait a second, that's not the stuff I thought about. I heard about before, but that's a good example of something that went from non-negotiable to negotiable. Now at locations, they have some freedom and autonomy of sorts to kind of create their own experience as it matches their um, their particular expression. And the, the reason that was able to be the case is because one of the other non-negotiables was all the culture stuff, which is a whole podcast in itself, but defining, not just saying the word culture, which means nothing, but defining the cultural points. We were so good at that, that over time you earned a sort of freedom. You earned a sort of trust to go and do your own thing that expresses itself in maybe the Canadian way, if you will, or the Floridian way. Uh, but still resembles of course the elevation culture and heart and things like that so those are some really big ones let me give you one more um some of the non-negotiables were what we would say no to so we were a no to women's ministry and, and men's ministry and and uh, food pantries and those kind of things and uh we would partner with organizations in that particular city uh, in all of our cities that are doing really good things uh for people in need but um, but that's also a non-negotiable is that that particular campus pastor or team doesn't get to say, yeah, we want to hear, we want to do this. And uh, it came back down to defining, not just saying the word, but defining unity, uh, defining what that uniformity even to an extent looks like and not apologizing for it. Um, and it makes it, it makes it very, very, I think, helpful and healthy long-term. And it allows for that freedom afterwards. 
So, so, so if I could pick up on uh, maybe one of the words you've said there, now it's not quite um, uh, maybe where we were going to go, but if we could just to pick it up a little bit around this idea of culture. So for just thinking of that, how did you protect that culture? Because obviously taking that to somewhere else, different city, what, what does protection of the culture look like for you guys? Yeah. So first of all, culture, you know, has to be your kind of your core beliefs uh, that lead to a particular outcome. And what's in the middle is your behaviors. Uh, and most everybody forgets that part. <laughs> we like, hey, we, we want to be this. And then on the outcome, because we're going to be this, which is really a hopeful wish, unless you have behaviors in the middle. So if you want to be generous, I'm going to check your giving records. Now, I know we're listening to different countries here, <laughs> but in the United States, it's a very tax beneficial thing to give to a church, number one, uh, which means we keep records. We're legally allowed to do that, obviously, and we'll even check it from a leadership standpoint. So this is a really good hot button issue for some people. Um, so we'll say, hey, if you want to be a leader in this church, I mean, are you tithing? Are you trusting God in the area of your finances? Now, we don't do the math for you. We don't know how much money you make. It's not that. Uh, we're not moving the decimal point and all that. But the point is, it's a behavior not an assumption, not an intention. It's a direction. It's a very specific behavior of giving something, right? And then when that behavior doesn't happen to your question of how, how do you like, you know, protect that? Well, now that that behavior is not happening, we're going to correct that with accountability, which is also a cuss word in church world, church world these days because of mercy and grace. And sometimes we like to use those words as a defense mechanism against having a hard conversation. Uh, but as I look through scripture, I find Jesus having a lot of hard conversations and it's because of mercy and grace, not the other way around. And so I think you just got to have that understanding of what you're supposed to do. What are you called to do? What's the purpose of the church? Where's the vision? Like, where are we headed in this thing? What are the behaviors that we think everybody as best we can, maybe the leaders, staff, so on are going to do. And then if those behaviors stop being a thing, or if they're not aligned with what we just said, hey, you said you were going to give, or you said you were going to be on time, or you said you were going to be in this meeting, or you said you were going to be healthy, or whatever. You're not doing that. That's not picking on people. It's not throwing them under the bus. It's the, I think it's the purest form of care is when you're willing to correct. And that's where candor comes from. Uh, candor doesn't mean saying mean things. Candor just means real-time feedback to keep us moving. And uh, so candor was a big one. It's probably the short word answer to your question is just really man, in the moment. Uh, and again, as long as you understand that candor is not a, not a synonym for angry, like, you know, mean feedback, you know, it's not always negative. So, but again, we, we like to think it is in church world, but I don't think it is. I think if we can just be real, say, hey, by the way, I saw that you haven't given in the last couple weeks. I'm okay with that. I just want to make sure, are you good? Did you lose your job? Can we care for you in some way? Uh, hey, you've been late to the meeting the last four times. Is there something we can do to care for you there? Like those are all big issues that come from a place of care and uh, you just got to be willing to do it. I think that's great coming from that place, you know, just you reminding at the end, you know, coming from that place of care mm. uh, is really good. One of the things that uh, I love about following you on Instagram, Sweb, is your five things or five ways or whatever it is. And, um, you know, just talking about uh, kind of leading people, uh, you've led and shaped teams. So I thought, uh, why don't you share as like your top five ways of keeping teams energized uh, on the mission, on the vision? Uh, for the podcast listeners? Man, top five. I, I think I can make five. I don't know. I talk a lot too. So I might have to get two or three. We'll see. Um, so keeping, say, say that again. What about uh, keeping them energized on the mission? Is that what we're saying? That's right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, first thing is make it clear, make it plain. Um, you know, I, I pick on the phrase cast vision a lot. And if you've been on Instagram, follow me a few times, <laughs> you've even seen me make fun of it. I just think it's a funny word. It, it, it's fine. But a lot of times people just use the word and they don't actually put the meat around it. 
Um, and so you cast a fishing pole and you to, to, to go fishing, you know, and you may cast food or seed, uh, but that's the only other time you use the word. And then when it comes to casting vision, people think just saying the phrase casting vision is giving vision. And uh, so I just don't think that's plain. And then when they do that, they say big words, we're going to be 10,000 people in the next 10 years. And there's like six people behind them. And that's it. it sounds good. But then that's like, there's a line in there somewhere where it goes from vision to like myth and hope and, and wishes and almost just like unicorn and rainbows kind of vibe. And it's not plain. And I think at first, just what are we doing? What's the win? Show me the kind of the inline, show me the goal. You know, what, what are we trying to score? Just help me with that. And then I'll fight you know, for everything to do that. And people need that clarity. I need that clarity. I'm not speaking on behalf of everybody else. I, I need that clarity at any level of organization. Just tell me in this seat, how can I win? What can I push for? What can I fight? What hill are we taking? Uh, so I'd make it plain. Um, the other thing is I'd want to go with them and lead with them. Uh, sometimes it's pushing from behind. Sometimes it's pulling from the front, but it, it can't be like sitting in a penthouse, you know, a, a, an executive suite and just looking at reports and saying, Hey, that number needs to get up. And so there's something powerful about going with them. I think Moses did that in his unique expression. Joshua did it in the field. So different people did it, but they were both with them. And in that journey, Jesus did the same things on the journey with them. He didn't sit up in heaven and just kind of point and stuff. He's like, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to come down. We're going to hang out for a couple of years. We're going to go together. And I think that's really helpful uh, if you can do that. Um, I think if you can keep a good attitude, that sounds really simple, but uh, the, the more specific way is, is be grateful um, gratitude. Uh, our pastor Stephen told us this years ago, um, gratitude is never silent or invisible. So you can't actually just have an attitude of gratitude without an action of gratitude. And that'll move people. You'd be surprised at how many doors open uh, for a person who's grateful and shows and, and exhibits gratitude. Um, you, you've seen this. I hopefully don't have to go too much in depth on this, especially you two guys have seen this, but I know even your listeners have probably seen this work out well. Um, I'd want to do that. Fourth thing I do personally, this I got so much traction out of this and I still do, uh, and I need to always get better at it. I don't think you arrive at this, but uh, is encouragement. Now, again, that sounds real fluffy. sounds like something your grandfather would say, um, but man, it's, it's really, I find it to be really powerful. Now, encouragement doesn't work if it's like, hey, good job, buckaroo. You can't do a, you know, butt pat like after a football game or something. It can't be that. It's got to be specific. It's got to be surgical. Like, hey, listen, man, that third song, I saw what you did to take that energy and move it this way and adjust when that drum shield fell down on the stage, you know, like you start getting specific. That's a real example, by the way, um, you know, but that's real specific because it tells people, hey, they saw me, which means I have value which means they care about me, which means I probably want to do that better. Okay, let's do it again. Like you see how that all comes from like surgical specificity of your encouragement, not good job. Um, and so I see a ton of traction for that. I didn't grow up with a ton of that. My parents are great. Uh, my friends are great. But the specificity part was like not always there. And so about 10 years ago, me and a friend, uh, we sat down at Elevation. We were both relatively new and like, man, you know what? I think that guy would need to hug. <laughs> he was just always angry. This other guy was. Uh, and so we, uh, we eventually got to the point of just, oh, what it was is he just didn't feel seen. And we didn't have a counseling session with him, but we got real specific and encouragement. Uh, and then last but not least, man, I would say, um, man, you got to cut some dead weight. Um, and I'm coming up with these on the fly. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's 10 other things I'd add, but, but I, it definitely makes my top five. Of, I feel like a lot of good teams get drained when they know that they're pulling weight and this guy's not. And there's a grace, there's mercy. We don't fire everybody. 
uh, it's it's very hard, for example, to be be fired at elevation. <laughs> it's also very hard to get on staff at elevation, though, too, uh, especially back when I was there. So, like, it's just you know, if you can kind of keep the order correct, um, it's good. But when it's necessary, we gotta we gotta cut dead weight, man. We gotta go. Um, and I feel like you're gonna drain a lot more people on the front end because you take your 99 for the one scripture out of context. And I think people do that in the wrong direction. He left the 99 for the one. Yeah, the 99 were cared for. They were good. They were on mission. So we went and picked the, the guy up. It was not the other way around where we water everything down for the 99 because the one, we don't want to have a hard conversation with him. And, uh, and I, I, I've been drained watching people get promoted uh, or, or um, you know, get some sort of press, if you will. Um, and they haven't done anything, uh, but that'll suck the life out of people pretty quickly. And then you're having to fix a bigger issue. Uh, and that goes back to the cultural thing you were asking a minute ago. Just can you can you have a hard conversation? Can you hold people accountable? So that's a long answer, man. I kept talking. You got me going on some good, of my trigger spots good. there, man. No, but, uh, that's good stuff, good. That, isn't it, really? Yeah, good. yeah. Good. Off the fly as well. Off the fly. <laughs> yeah, you get five out of five for that one. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, Swear, obviously your time at Elevation Church, you were probably doing quite a number of different roles over time. So for you then, how, how did you handle that, that sort of change in role? What, what was that like for you? Just describe that for us a little bit and for people listening. Yeah, I did. I did a lot of different roles. I'll give you a couple of them real quick. Got hired to do expansion, but what expansion looked like was very different then. Um, I did then what now there's a team of about 18 people who do. Uh, now, again, scale's a little bit bigger too, um, but, but it's a different version of expansion. So the word expansion changed a few times throughout the course of my time. Uh, that was one, uh, I got asked to not do expansion one day. I thought I was being fired, <laughs> but then the next day our executive pastor goes, no, 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 you're good. I want to have you build the TV ministry and Stephen Furtick ministries is what that ultimately came, uh, which included some social media stuff and a lot of his, you know, personal ministry that was related to the church. He has his all run through the church, but that's very specific. And obviously, uh, you know, substantial amount of weight since you're, uh, working on some, like an individual's voice as it relates to the church. So it's, it's a unique role. So that was a cool opportunity to get to build that. Now, listen to a theme here as I keep going here. Um, then I, right after that, I got tasked with going to be an associate campus pastor at our headquarters location. Now at Elevation Headquarters offices is the different location than broadcast. They're two different buildings, two different parts of the city. Uh, so headquarters is still a campus of a few thousand people at the time. It's where all of our offices are and all that kind of stuff. But that was also our longest term, uh, our oldest campus. And so we needed to renovate the staff as all new staff, put a new campus pastor in place. We had to renovate this, the, the culture of the team um, uh, that came with that. And of course, all the leaders and volunteers after that, we had to literally renovate the, build, uh, the building. We did a $6 million build where we lifted the roof 12 feet and turned it 45 degrees. And so we had to, this will be another podcast. We took a permanent campus and moved it to a high school. And we took a permanent campus of 2,000 people and moved to high school. Most people want to do the opposite, and we, we did it backwards. So that took some effort. So we had to build systems for that and renovate that. And then after that, Pastor Stephen in 2016 said to all of our staff, he said, next year we're launching four campuses. And me and my former boss at the time, because I'd moved to that other role, we looked at each other and like, wait, you, you got some campuses? So that day, I became back into the expansion pastor role, literally that day. And uh, in 2017, we launched four campuses. Um, and so it was definitely my busiest year. Um, but what you, what I just said there, let me, let me help bring all this together about how I worked that transition is everything I just said was building. Um, so building new locations, building leaders. So some of the projects I did too, like building, a, um, our apprentice program where a lot of the campus pastors that you would see now, a lot of those guys came through that program that I got to build with one other guy. Uh, and, and that was a cool, you know, process, but it's building. So building leaders, uh, of course, building campuses and then building a multiplication process after that. 
So all that's building. So the way I was able to go through transitions, I think uh, healthy for me, uh, and I wish I would have learned this 20 years ago instead of on the fly at the, on the job, was, man, if I can figure out the mental model, like what is the picture? Like, what am I supposed to do? I'm a builder. I'm not in ministry. That's too vague. That's too broad. But for me, I'm a builder and I build things and fix things. So at every single responsibility, even as a volunteer, before I came on staff at Elevation, I was either building or fixing something. And you could ask our executive team there. They'd be like, yeah, so if he builds things or fixes things, which sometimes means you have to break things. Um, so, so I did that. So that helps me. So if I'm in a place and I'm, if I'm in a role where I'm not doing either of those things, I start getting real frustrated. I'm like, what in the world is the problem? I can't seem to get traction. I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. I'm not fruitful. Um, and if that's the case, like, what is it? Oh, uh, okay, I'm managing. Got it. I'm not building anything. And so I went to my supervisors multiple times over the course of the time. I said, Hey, listen, you hired me to build. I'm no longer building. Can I do this now? Oh, that's a good point. Yes. Yeah, so I'll go build. And again, that's how I got to Orlando. So a couple of years ago, I ended up moving from Charlotte to Orlando to build the 20th campus of Elevation Church because it's a building process. Um, and when I say build, we all know, but I'm not talking about a building, um, but we built the campus there. So um, that helped me through transition. I think a lot of people are frustrated in their transition because they're looking for a role. They're looking for a paycheck. They're looking for other like circumstantial or, or superficial elements to a particular um, you know, endeavor or responsibility. And it's not lining up with their, I mean, maybe they're how they're created. Uh, and it could be as simple as Enneagram number stuff and Myers-Briggs stuff. It could be that simple that they just need to get back in line. Um, but I, I just stopped doing it for any sort of accolade. I stopped doing it for any sort of money, role, responsibility. I didn't want to be in any certain meetings because <laughs> when you get important, now you got to go to me meetings. <laughs> Problem is if you're in meetings, by definition, you're pretty much not building anything. <laughs> so you might instigate some things that other people then build. And I wanted to go into building. And so that really helped me when I could clarify what I was made to do. So. It's good, good to be aware of that, isn't yeah, it? Really yeah. to think of that. And just to dive in, I, like as a, as a young leader um, and just thinking of young leaders, how did you, um, like, was there, was there a moment, how did you recognize that, that this is, you know, like where I feel fulfilled, this is where I feel that, Energized. you know, like this yeah. is the energy, God has me mm. in this place to do this. How did you get to that place? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I imagine it's different for everybody, but um, I just started to kind of take inventory. Okay, I'm frustrated today. What are the elements around me that like right now while I'm frustrated? And then, or I'm, I'm really in a good spot today, man. I worked hard, I'm tired, but you know, tired isn't sometimes the goal. A lot of times it's the goal. Uh, it means I'm poured out. I did something. So, okay, but why am I energized? I look for the circumstances. Oh, today I got to create something new that didn't exist. Today I saw somebody else come to life. Uh, oh, okay. Well, so that, I liked that. And so you kind of have to do this inventory and you do it over time. You build a rhythm. You're like, oh, I'm better in a place where I can instigate something, uh, initiate something. So, um, and a lot of people, it might be the opposite. They're like, man, I'm really fulfilled when I know that my paycheck is now at a certain number. I'm not saying that's bad. It just wasn't for me. Um, other people like to be in meetings. They want to be in a meeting where they're just feel like, man, I'm at the table, the decision-making table. And, and that's, that's valid. Uh, I'm just not that guy. I'm not a bureaucrat. I was, I'm not a manager. I'm not good at those things. I'm good at building leaders and being a leader. But again, those are different. And so again, take an inventory of the specifics, not just the feelings uh, and trying to find patterns. Uh, I think that was, that was really helpful for me. Um, at the end of the day, uh, here's another way to ask this question. Um, and you can use this on somebody else later, but what is the thing that elicits uncontrollable emotion from you? Um, AKA what makes you cry? 
because there's another way you could say that. But, you know, when somebody's like really excited, maybe it's a soccer game, a uh, football game, uh, maybe it's, you know, your, your kid getting baptized or, or any of those kind of things, big things. You're like, wow, it's uncontrollable. I stand up. I'm like really excited. I clap my hands. I woo. You know, what is that? And uh, it's kind of a funny joke. It's a true story, though, but it's a joke. I only cry about once a decade. <laughs> and I can tell you, literally, the last time I cried was at an ordination for a campus pastor that I helped build. And, and he created one of our locations out of state. And it was an ordination, I don't know, five or six years ago. And uh, I remember all the specifics around it. And uh, so do the people in the room. They go like, that's that. we saw Sweb cry one time. And But that's uncontrollable emotion. But what it is for me, to answer that question, what it is for me is seeing the underdog winning. So I see the underdog winning. To me, that's another one of the things that I could see in the pattern. So as I'm taking inventory of all the circumstances around me and what's happening, the, the pattern I saw was, man, we created a campus in a town that nobody wanted to go to. We created a campus that's bigger in that small town of 200,000 than we could do in the town of 2 million. And the 200,000 person town, that campus is still better in my opinion <laughs> to this day. They became the standard for the rest of the campuses in the big city, meaning underdog winning. That campus pastor, he didn't even want to be on staff. And we're like, bro, you're so good at it. You built this whole thing. What the heck? So we finally talked him into it and he got ordained and all this kind of stuff. So again, underdog winning, that's the thing that made me cry. Um, and so, you know, help again, identifying, taking inventory. And that's the pattern I saw that helped me go, okay, I'm onto something now. It's very, you're very useful, though. very good. Yeah. Uh, so we've got four years to wait then before your next crying session. Is that correct? <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping it was going to be today too on the podcast. <laughs> so listen, you know, as we're going through, obviously, you know, your roles change quite a lot. Um, obviously, you're not with Elevation Church at the minute. Um, I'd like us just to talk around a little bit about three words, if we can, maybe just speak into those a little bit. So this idea of reinvention, reinvention of a leader of a church, also this idea of uh, realignment of a leader, and also to sort of recalibrate our lives. What does that look like? So those three words, if, we, if you could just speak into those a little bit, what, what does that look like, the sort of reinvention of a leader? Because may, maybe even in your journey, you've had to reinvent yourself a few times, even when you've done that inventory and you've found out what you're like and what makes you tick, let's maybe if you could speak into that for us, that mm. would be fantastic. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that angle. And I love the alliteration even. Uh, well, reinvention to me is something new. I think that's even definition is like making something new, right? Recalibration is to, kind of coming back to the standard, whatever that particular thing is. I'd love to do a whole topic a conversation on standards because uh, they're, they're moving. Um, and then, um, so I, I think they're two different things from the reinvention and recalibration side of things. And realignment uh, is also to me an ongoing everyday thing. It's almost like, that's almost like that kick drum uh, or that baseline in, in, a, in a song. Uh, to me, that's the alignment thing. I mean, are we, on, are we on track here? What's the rhythm? So I'm kind of viewing it in those ways, those three words. Uh, but yeah, over time I've had to, you know, reinvent myself as a leader. Cause sometimes you're, you're leading a team of five, then you're leading a team of, you know, 20 uh, in my case, elevation, I'm leading uh, a team of one, uh, in Charlotte. And then it became, I led eight campuses out of Charlotte where I've never for, I think, I think it was like nine and a half or nine of my nine and a half ish years of that particular role. Uh, I was only in town for six months with my team. The rest of the time, my team were literally all in other States. I oversaw campus pastors in other States. Well, that's a whole different version of a leader who sits in a meeting every Tuesday at a, at a, at a boardroom. Uh, you sometimes had to reinvent, um, you know, some of the values are underlying are the same, you know, again, encouragement, vision, all the things, values, culture, all the cool buzzwords, but the expression of how that works, you got to get real creative on how you're going to hold people accountable on a text message. 
And we got good at it, by the way. Uh, and I still to this day would claim that that was the best team that Elevation's ever seen. <laughs> Hopefully they see some of this. Um, so um, so it, it does work, but it took some it took some invention. You couldn't just do, hey, guys, we're going to get on a Zoom call for an hour and a half. No, no, no. I think everybody found that out last year that you don't do your same meeting on Zoom and call that effective. You have to change how you do it all when, when that variable changes. Um, and so, so some of that just, again, how I was able to do that for me that helped me um, is, you know, again, just asking the hard questions and not dying on a hill that doesn't need to die, be, be, be to die on, you know? I, I think a lot of times like, well, this is what we do. And I just don't do good with that. I don't do good with, well, this is what we do. Well, this is how it is. And, um, and so that, that was helpful from the recalibration. Once you set that standard, AKA you reinvent yourself or reinvent the role or reinvent the task or whatever, then that's now the new standard. So recalibrate is just coming back. Wait a second. What did we say we were going to do? Wait, how does this role work? How does this meeting flow? What are the expectations of our team? How do we know that we're winning? Like, it's just coming back to that recalibrate or coming back to that standard. And to me, that's recalibrating. And most people I've seen over me, especially over me, but also under me on the org chart, have a hard time doing that. We think it's a linear thing. Once it's once we hit it, then we just operate from that place like it's a, a springboard. And I don't think it is. To me, it's something you come back to almost like your calendar. Every morning you wake up, kind of go back to recalibrate. Wait, what's the point today? What's the win? Um, and so those are really, 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 really helpful. And then that kept me aligned um, the whole time as I kept, you know, kind of moving, um, moving forward in a direction. So some things for me that have never changed. Again, my, my job is a builder. I mean, I think as a, as a elementary school kid, I was a builder and then now I'm 42. Uh, I'm at a new church in a new state, uh, 1200 miles away, um, uh, in a, in a new role. Uh, I've done this role maybe 14 years ago and now I'm back at it again. So I'm not going back. Uh, I'm still having to reinvent. Um, but I'm a builder. So that helps me come back to, okay, I'm going to reinvent the expression of a core kind of foundational, you know, I don't know whatever I'm created to be, whatever that definition of, 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 you know, that personality profile or whatever. Um, and so I'm going to reinvent the different expression and then, uh, and just keep coming back to the standards. And to me, that changes, the standards shouldn't change every day, but I'm saying they change often ish. And as soon as you, I'll, I'll end, I'll end this with this statement. Like when you change any variable, you change all variables, right? We learn that in chemistry, we learn it in math. <laughs> and I think a lot of times we, we forget that. And so we add a new staff member, maybe to a team, or we add Zoom to the mix when it used to just be in person. Well, that, that changes all variables now. Uh, and to me, that's the calibration conversation. And so I'm just trying to keep a, my head on a swivel and keep an eye on the things that are changing and recalibrate to whatever that standard is. I don't know if I answered your question, but man, that was a, that was a fun conversation right there. Yeah, yeah, pretty good, Dan. And I think, I think you know, just picking up on what you said, that, that realignment is for you, Dan, just think of you, Swear, but that's you going back to, I'm a builder, isn't it really? So you're able to say that, that you're realigning yourself to that. And I suppose other leaders, that may be yeah. something different for them. Mm. Their realignment may be, I'm a, I'm a, you know, an encourager or I'm this or I'm that. Yeah. But it's having that desire to realign yourself and go back and keep checking. Mm. And keep checking in is a good term, really. You know, keep checking in where are we at now uh, is a good way to look yeah. at it as well, isn't it? Yeah, I love what you said about the recalibration mm. and the whole thing of... Um, it's not, you know, it's not like that one-time moment of we've said it, we're going to do it, and that's it. Yeah, it's going to happen. You've got to keep on it to see the change. Uh, I think I think was really powerful and something that leaders that are listening to, because uh, I think we say a lot in meetings, 
and we say a lot, we're going to do this or yeah. we're going to be this. Sure. Uh, but it doesn't actually happen because we never recalibrate our whole rhythms yeah, yeah. or what we're going to do to fit that. Yes, revisiting, mm. isn't it? Going back yeah. again and checking that out, really. Mm. Hey, well, it's been so good to have you on the yeah, podcast great. with us today. You've shared a lot of stuff. We've got a, have we, I think we've got a couple more questions, haven't we? At least we've, one. We've got the final question. The final. This is going to be the this final question. This is new question. for season yeah. two. This is new. Right? This is new. So you're the first. You're the first, Sweb. The final question for all guests. And uh, so I'll do the honours for this yeah, one. Yeah, you do it. Thanks, Dave. It, thanks. Uh, which is this. What is the one question that no one is asking you that you wish they would? And what's your answer to that question? Oh man. Um, will you help? <laughs> and my answer is yes. I, I, I think, uh, I think just a lot. And that's not just for me. I think it's everybody. I think, uh, and being at elevation specifically was really insightful because people literally would fly around the world to come see what we do. And they didn't come to see Pastor Steve Furtick. That was part of it. Sure. But no, no, they want to know how our guest experience processes work, how we were able to do that sort of church with half the staff of most churches, our size. Um, they wanted to know how we do all the behind the scenes stuff. And they wanted to hear stories. They didn't want to be helped. And, uh, and now I find that now I'm at a smaller church. Uh, I, I coach uh, and, and consult with churches. I've done that for a decade, even before Elevation. But, um, and it seems to be the pattern is like, they don't really want help. I'm sure on some level they do deep down, but it's hard to ask. And so I just wish more people would ask me um, or you, anybody like, cool. Thanks for the story. Thanks for the insights. Um, thanks for the uh, perspective. But will you help? Man, if people can just get better at that, uh, good Lord, I just feel like that's the game changer. Yeah, I would love to speak into your situation specifically, not here's how we did it at Elevation. No offense. I like that y'all have asked me that too, <laughs> right? Everybody asks that. But like, but I know we've talked offline before too. Help me with this. And to me, that's the game changer. And you, you want to do that from your parents. You want to do it from your banker. You want your investment guy to do that with, with your finances. Help me. Don't just tell me stories about the stock market, but help me. Don't just tell me stories about what it's going to be like when I grow up, dad. Help me grow up, dad. And man, will you help? And my answer, uh, I know that's not true for everybody, but my answer is yes, I absolutely will. Um, and I, I'm, I'm challenging myself with that. Help me lose weight. Help me have a better attitude. Help me not talk so long on a podcast. Help me to have short answers. <laughs> I mean, all of it. I'm practicing what I'm preaching here is help me. And uh, man, it, it has been a game changer for sure. It's a great answer that, it isn't is, it? It's fantastic. It is. Amazing. Uh, Sweb, how would uh, people uh, kind of find you out there? Uh, as people do now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, best place for me, and you mentioned it before, is Instagram. Uh, I love Facebook and Twitter and all the other ones, but I'm an Instagram guy. Uh, at Stephen P. Webb, that's a P-H, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Stephen P. Webb. Um, and then stephenpweb.com is a website. Uh, there's not a ton on there. It's just how to get in touch with me and talks a little bit about my coaching or whatnot. But I love conversations on Instagram. I'm not a private profile. It's a public profile. So join the conversation and we'll chat back and forth about it. Great. Well, it's been amazing to have uh, uh, Sweb with us on this podcast and uh, we look forward to seeing everyone again and uh, speaking on the Church Explained podcast. Let me just mention, you can get the show notes at icon.church forward slash open uh, with also a load of resources for you there as churches. But it's been great to be together on the Church Explained podcast and we look forward to seeing you next time in the jungle, season two of Church Explained podcast. We'll see you soon.